0: Hello, and welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Plain. And today we are going to be asking, <laughs> and today we are going to be answering your questions for the third time in the history of the Career Builders Podcast. This is something that we do every 30 episodes. And with this being episode 90, this is round three of Ask Us Anything. Lisa, I'm excited.
1: Yeah, 90 episodes feels crazy. Can't believe we've been on this little podcasting adventure for 90 whole episodes.
0: Yes. Blink and you look back and you're like, oh, wow, where did all of that time go? But at the same time, so many great memories, honestly. Yeah. I've really enjoyed this.
1: Agreed. Yeah. Cool. And I'm excited to get into these questions and really appreciate everyone who contributed.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's, I mean, on that note, let's jump right into it. We have a question here from Laura Holt who is a career coach as well, asking on behalf of my job seekers, she says, if you've been applying and doing outreach for two to three months and don't seem to get traction, what's a way to kickstart quote unquote, or refresh your approach or remotivate yourself? How do you all approach burnout on the job search?
1: That's such a great question. And something that almost everybody will experience at some point in their job search. So it's really great to understand that it is normal that you experience that and that there are ways of moving past it. Personally, one of the ways that I really get my clients to start thinking about burnout and the job search is thinking about doing something that's fun for them. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of job searching activities that you just have to do. You have to send applications online there's a whole bunch of other things, but what, what really do you enjoy about the job search and try to find some things that can be fun for you? So for some people, it can be networking and having a conversation. Um, I ha- had a conversation with somebody recently and I said, what, what part of this do you really love? And he said, well, when I have a conversation with somebody, regardless of the outcome, I feel energized after that. Hmm. So that." to me was a really clear indication that that's something that this person should be doing more of that will help them to overcome a little bit of that burnout.
0: Cool. Yeah. I, I love where you're going with that. In that for sure there are certain things that you have to do as part of a job search quote unquote, have to, Mm-hmm. And the way in which that you go about some of those things can change and be more energizing. So if I can piggyback on your comment around networking, maybe having a conversation with someone who is actually not really in the target industry that you are after, just get to know someone else. If you like being around and meeting new people, maybe someone who is not someone you're hoping to be an advocate for you is someone that you could enjoy spending time getting to know sort of mm. taking the pressure off of the conversation, which can sometimes be sometimes be really tough for people who are, are trying to network in order to gain a referral opportunity.
1: That's a great point.
0: Yeah. So anything that kind of dials down the pressure, I think can be a lot of, of use. I also think that, like you said, doing things that are more fun and maybe that might be taking a break for a little bit and doing something that energizes you. There might be a book Gives you a new idea in terms of how you can market yourself. I'm a big fan of reading marketing books from both a a business owner's perspective, but also from a coach's perspective, because we're here to help people sell themselves and marketing and sales is something that you can basically apply completely as is to the context of finding a job. So those are two Mm -hmm. things that come to mind for me.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. I totally agree with that.
0: Thanks for that question, Laura, uh, really appreciate that.
1: We also got a great question from Jack Kelly, who was one of our guests on episode 76, uh, and he was talking to us all about recruitment and his question is, where do you see the job market in Canada and the U S in the next three to six months?
0: Hmm. It's a funny question. It's a great question by Jack. I could definitely see him asking this to us in, in person. We're recording this right now in early-ish May, and this will drop in about six weeks from now, so we may, or be, we may or may not be realizing something different already at that point. Chris, Reagan, and Bill Robson, who are our guests on the show for episode 35, which was called The Pandemic Economy and Your Career, that was a really interesting rundown on kind of understanding economically what has happened during the last... Uh, Almost 18 months. And I remember that conversation and both of them saying, uh, these two great economists, talking about how this is a, a shock to supply as opposed to most recessions, which are a shock on the demand side of an economy. Meaning that I think, for all intents and purposes, most people, for example, still want to travel, most people still want to go to restaurants, they want to buy things, vacations, they want to do stuff. I don't think the demand for a lot of the things that we were doing before the pandemic started has disappeared. It's the ability to do things. It's the ability to book a flight. It's the ability to go to a restaurant and sit down or whatever it is. To me, the supply comes down to where vaccination rates are. And we know at least in the story of Canada and the U S the U S has overall done a better job of vaccinating at a higher rate than Canada Canada is kind of hoping to be at a point where we can reopen sometime in the middle of the summer. If we can get our vaccination rates up into the, the single dose vaccination rate up to 75% and the two dose vaccination rate to 20%. So I know that those public health benchmarks are going to have an economic impact, but outside Mm -hmm. of that, it's, I think kind of anyone's guess, but I think as those numbers creep up, that's where we're going to start to see things come back and become a little bit more alive when it comes to job market and job seeking.
1: That makes sense. And really interesting stats too, that you've brought into that. I, from my own personal opinion, I mean, it's really tough to say because things have been so uncertain for the last year, but it seems to me that companies, particular companies, and you you can't just have a blanket statement across all industries. It really does depend on the industry, the company specifically, and where they're at in the world. But from what I can see, companies are feeling more hopeful, which in turn leads them to start planning a little bit more strategically for the future, which also means increasing in hiring. Mm -hmm. That being said, over the summer in general, things tend to slow down in the hiring department when people are taking vacations and taking time off. So we may see a bit of a slowdown From that natural hiring cycle. Mm -hmm. But if everything goes well, like you said, with the vaccines, then hopefully the fall job market will pick up again.
0: Yeah. I, I love what you said about the fact that some industries are basically a lot different than others. And just to kind of piggyback on that quickly, I mean, IT, which is the market I do the most work in, in my nine to five work, it's pretty healthy now, honestly, in Canada. And we are, we are better than we were a year ago, uh, which was still really not that bad in comparison to other sectors. When you look at something like um, tourism, travel service, like the restaurant industries, uh, that's, that's a bit of a different story. There's been some structural changes there. Mm-hmm. I read about um, not long ago, there are some Montreal restaurateurs who are concerned about being able to hire chefs back into their restaurants when the time comes for them to reopen fully because a lot of chefs have left the industry. Mm -hmm. So that will slow things down. That will cause uh, definitely a chain reaction in terms of those businesses getting back up to the point where they can hire more people. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what will take longer. Flying to places will take longer. There will be fewer pilots, senior pilots in the world when we get back to, to flying because people have retired during the last 18 months and they haven't been replaced by people gaining experience. Uh, most pilots and the airlines have been sitting at home, unfortunately. So those kinds of things will take some time, but I am optimistic. I do think we are headed down a brighter path. Awesome. Cool. Great point. Thanks. Yeah. And thanks for that great question, Jack. Our next question comes from Dr. Hoda Kalani. Hoda is awesome. She runs a career chat with career coaches and she asks with all the free resources available out there. Why would I seek the help of a career practitioner? It's a question that I answered on her own show. And, uh, she'd like us to speak to that here on this show, Lisa.
1: Yeah. So I I sort of think of it as I like to use fitness as a comparison. Mm -hmm. I have tried so many free online programs for fitness. I'll download something. It's do it myself. You know, sometimes I'm super motivated to do it. Sometimes I'm not. It's the difference between that and hiring a personal trainer. So when you hire a personal trainer, you have that accountability. You have that one-on-one support. You have somebody who's there to coach you and tell you, you know, this is working. This isn't working. Here are some suggestions for things that you might try, but then also helping you with your mindset because mindset is a good portion of any battle of anything that you're trying to do. So whether it's fitness or whether it's job searching, You need somebody to challenge you, to to question you, to help you to see things from a slightly different perspective. So in my opinion, and from my own experiences, that really is the value of absolutely. There's tons of free resources out there and they can be valuable to you. And if you're somebody who can be really, really self-motivated, then that's great. If you're somebody who needs a little bit of extra support and a little bit of an extra push, then I definitely recommend hiring a career professional.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I think My answer to Dr. Hoda on her show was something along the lines of when you look at sort of Olympic athletes, world-class performers on an athletic stage, a lot of those people have great coaches in their corner. They didn't get to that world-class level using free guides for their sports. And it's not to knock what is out there and what is free, because there's a lot of great free content. I agree with what you said there but there is something different about having someone in your corner. When you buy coaching or you work with someone, you're you buy essentially a lift in confidence Mm -hmm. and confidence changes. Everything as you and I both know. And just, yes, mindset, how we show up, how we adjust when things aren't going well. I just think that like at the end of the day, it's not necessarily for everyone. It's not always attainable, but it is, very different from just trying to figure it all out on your own.
1: Absolutely. And just to sort of, again, piggyback on that, having somebody with the expertise and training to know how to get you from point A to point B Mm -hmm. specifically, like to be able to adapt and to be flexible and to, to share insight as well as helping you with all those other things we mentioned.
0: Yeah, totally. Love that question. Thank you, Dr. Hoda.
1: Okay, our next question comes from Kayvon Kion, who was our guest on episode 69, where we talked about his awesome book, What is Water? And his question is, what are some common career advice myths that one might hear a lot, but that don't necessarily work?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's interesting. So the common career advice myths, things that people are told that may not be true, I think the first one that comes to mind for me is if you have a really well-tailored resume that you will be far more likely to land a job and you don't have to do anything else and the resume will do all the work for you. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty solid myth right there because it's certainly important. It is the sales document for you, the job seeker. It, It is there. It is part of your voice and it should be really strong, but it's definitely not the silver bullet that people sometimes think that it is. So it's part of a larger approach to finding a job. Anything right off the bat for you?
1: So one of the, one of the common myths, and it's not that it doesn't work, but it's that networking is hard. A lot of people see networking as this really big, scary thing that can really hold you back from making solid connections. And so if you look at it instead of something that is unattainable or something that's scary or or intimidating, if you look at it as relationship building and connection, that can really help you to get past that. But I I think that that's probably one of the biggest myths that I hear from job seekers saying, "It's, it's a lot of work to go out and network. I don't have time for that. But you really do. You just need to work it and create a habit out of it.
0: That is a great point, right? Like the the story that you tell yourself around something like networking, it can totally change. You can totally make it something that is to your liking. And like you said, the longer term view, building relationships with people, it's not only more fulfilling, I find, but just a lot more fun when you're attached to the idea of just getting to know someone who could be a really cool person and someone that you could relate to for a long time, as opposed to being attached to the idea of, this person is my ticket to the interview table. It's a very different story. Exactly. Cool.
1: The funny thing is that I actually feel like most of the stuff that people tell you about job seeking is true. It's just that a lot of people don't want to listen to it.
0: (laughs) That that is a really interesting (laughs) comment. Yes. Yes. Yes maybe let's just unpack that for a second. And is that, is that because people just feel uncomfortable looking for a job? Is that just sort of, I know we're going on a bit of a tangent here, but it's sparked by a great question. Do people just not enjoy the process of marketing themselves? Is that it?
1: I think that there's a lot of uncertainty around how and what actually works. Mm -hmm. So this is actually another question that we're going to get into, but it can feel like a shot in the dark when people are just doing things and they don't necessarily see the results. Whereas career coaches and people who are giving career advice often have experience to back up these suggestions.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Whereas people who are job seeking, all they hear is stories from friends and family saying job searching is so hard. It takes forever. No matter what you do, it's going to be the same. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I, I hear you. It goes back to mindset, right?
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's
0: something that that we just have to con- continuously come back to is that it's the myth is not that it is difficult. It is that the stories you tell yourself make it difficult <laughs> mm. at the end of the day. Uh, it's not, or I'm trying to quote another coach here, but it's not the event, it's your belief around the event or your belief around the task that you have to get done. That impacts whether or not you do it. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say the one last thing that comes to mind really quickly here is that the myth that it's a numbers game. I'm going to draw from Austin Belsack a little bit where if you crank out, you know, a, a certain number of applications per day, per week, per month, you are inevitably going to land an opportunity And for sure there is a certain numbers game to be played when you're looking for a job for most people, but it's not that numbers game. It's not mass applications. The numbers game is really around how many conversations you can have with people who work in the organizations that you want to work in. So I think that's a myth. It's shifting the numbers game from one area to an area that's more productive, more within your sort of locus of control, And Mm -hmm. that changes a lot of things for job seekers.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Cool. Kayvon, super thought-provoking question. We had a bunch of anonymous questions that were asked and uh, we'll get to those now, including what are the best ways to find a job quickly, Lisa?
1: So you actually did a presentation on this recently. So (laughs) I would love to pass it back over to you to hear your take,
0: Punt back. All right. I like it. Yeah, yeah. I, I did a talk not long ago and a little part of the talk was what to do if you need a job tomorrow. And of course there's, you know, that that's kind of an oxymoron paradox thing to say, because I don't think there is a way other than, you know, sort of holding a gun to someone's head, which I'm not suggesting <laughs> a way of actually getting a job tomorrow or getting a job really, really quickly. But the things to do are uh, get super, super clear on what it is you want to do, number one. Mm -hmm. Number two is create marketing material for yourself, aka resume, LinkedIn profile, cover letter writing, might be content as well. You post out on social media. It could be if you run some other content platform that's related to your career or the industry that you work in. Can you adjust that so that it's directed towards where you want to go? And then meet as many people as fast as you possibly can get into as many conversations with people as possible. And the more often you do that, the faster you will land an opportunity to interview. That's, that's how you do it.
1: Amazing. And where do you find these conversations?
0: I find a lot of them on LinkedIn. I mean, when you think about, uh, just how we have been able to bring people onto our show, it's a type of conversation It's often Mm -hmm. direct outreach. It's often uh, warming people up on social media and sort of engaging with content that someone might be putting out so that they get to know you. You're coming out in a wide open space and you're not sort of, um, yeah, you're you're not hiding anything. You're just really being a real human being. Mm -hmm. And the more often that you get into conversations one-on-one with people, the less awkward it feels, the more enjoyable it can be. Um, but yeah, it just, it, you got to ask people to a conversation at some point, And that means approaching strangers.
1: <laughs> awesome. I second everything that you just said, be really clear on what you want. Make sure that your marketing materials draw back to that. And then that networking, I say this to so many people and I'm sure people are sick of me hearing it, but networking can make such a huge difference. I've seen people send out 200 applications and then Ugh. start networking And all of a sudden within a month they have a job. So you need to be looking for the right types of people. You need to be having conversations with people that could either refer you or that are in the same industry as you. But like you said, if, if starting out, it's uncomfortable reaching out to people, just start with anybody, have a conversation with anybody Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. then that can snowball.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think if you're, if you're really stuck up trying to, to connect with people that you don't know, I would say revisit connections that you already have in your life and see who they know in their network that they'd be able to create a warm introduction for between you and them. Um, as you start to meet new people, you can ask for more warm introductions to other folks in their networks. And I mean, networking kind of grows, a network kind of grows like a tree in that you push a branch out in a new direction and eventually the branch branches off. And and that's because those people that you have met are connecting you with new people and new people and more new people as you go. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be always pushing out a brand new branch out of the trunk, um, to get somewhere in terms of building that network. So yeah, it's, it's a lot of that take control of the conversation and go have some great relationship developing moments. I
1: love it. All right. Our next question is how can I find a mentor and what are the benefits of having one?
0: I would say a mentor sometimes is not always coming to you in the shape or form that you might think. Sometimes mentors, sometimes you won't necessarily have a single person who is a mentor in your life. You could be gaining a set of um, ideas and wisdom and knowledge from different groups of people. I mean, how do you find a mentor? You, you look for people who are doing things that you admire and who represent values that you really admire and are doing the things that you would like to be doing yourself. So wherever that may be. And sometimes those people are really, really busy and you might not have the ability to have a one-on-one relationship with them, but you can still follow and learn from them. I think Chris Doe calls it the idea of going from having a mentor to having just heroes in your life, like people that you just Mm. follow and learn from. How do you, I mean, I feel like mentors are cultivated. You don't necessarily find a mentor, right?
1: I, I feel like you can, like you can make that a goal of yours to find somebody who you are going to connect with on a deeper level and, build a relationship with and be able to ask questions Mm too. I think that it does stem from that networking that we were just talking about in that you want to just start going out and finding people who interest you and who share similar values and interests that you can have interesting conversations with. And going back to episode 27, which was horizontal mentorship with Garrett Mintz, who has a really great company that talks a lot about horizontal mentorship it's a reciprocal relationship. You don't want to just be always taking from somebody. You also want to have a relationship where you're able to provide some value as well. Mm -hmm. So you can't just go and pick somebody and say, Oh, that person's going to be my mentor. You have to do a bit of trial and error to find somebody who fits with your interests, your goals for your career, but then also can gain something from you.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. I love that point about reciprocity in the relationship. Uh, it's not a one-way street. And the other big key takeaway from that conversation with Garrett, we can link to that in our show notes is the concept of horizontal mentorship. What that means is that you're not necessarily being mentored by somebody who is a senior in the exact vertical that you are in. Like if you're a junior developer, your mentor does not have to be a senior developer, does not have to be a director of, of technology or a chief information officer, uh, chief tech officer of a company that those don't have to be your mentors. They could be someone else in another part of a company that could be in a different company altogether doing some different things, but it's about, yeah, like you said, kind of having what Garrett called the work orientation where you value your work in a similar way. And that's sort of the the unifying common ground that brings mentor and mentee together in a way that's more sustainable. So mm-hmm. I think Garrett would have a lot to say on that, but, uh, that's, those are my thoughts. I mean, to the question of what are the benefits of having one? Oh, I mean, you get a lot of time back. (laughs) You you learn from a lot of mistakes that other people made so that you hopefully Mm -hmm. don't have to make them. That's a piece of advice that I've been carrying for a really long time in my life is if you want to grow fast, learn from your mistakes. And if you want to grow faster, learn from the mistakes of others. So the more sources of information that you have like that in your life, the the faster you can go in your career and do things that are important to you.
1: For sure. And I would say too, that some of the benefits of having a mentor are that you can bounce ideas off of somebody who does have more experience, who might be able to give you a bit of a different perspective or who understands Particularly if you find somebody within the company that you're already at, if you're looking to go move ahead in a particular company, it can be beneficial to find somebody who understands the politics who might have a little bit of a different perspective that they can share with you on some of the things that you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for a mentor within a broader industry, finding somebody again, that you can just bounce ideas off of and say, you know, how does this sound to you? How have you done something like this in the past and sharing ideas and sharing insights can be so beneficial.
0: Yeah. It goes back to that earlier point around similar to hiring a coach. When you have mentors in your life, you feel more confident on the journey that you're going on. You just Mm -hmm. believe that you have a support network. You feel like you can take some chances that you can do something that, you know what, if it doesn't work out, you can work with the people that you have in your life to figure out a new plan, a new path, if need be a contingency that's i mean i could go on for quite some time i think on mentorship i'll i'll tell you that without the mentors i've had in my life there's no way i'd be doing what i'm doing now at, at 32 or ever like i just it's been life changing same yeah cool and our last anonymous question i love this one do people really reply to linkedin messages <laughs>
1: <laughs> so It depends Mm -hmm. from my experience, there are so many factors that can change the outcome of sending somebody a LinkedIn message, such as if you, the actual content of your message, did you do your research? Did you personalize the message? Did you send something that was canned and the the other person knew it? Mm -hmm. Are you trying to sell somebody something right off the bat? Yeah. Yeah did you make it really easy for the other person to respond?
0: Yeah, you're, you're absolutely hitting some, like several nails on the head here, Lisa, that if you don't make it something that is attractive for the other person to write back to, it could be on LinkedIn. It could be on email. It could be a plane flying by in the sky with your text on it. Like <laughs> it, it's not going to draw a response if it doesn't entice the person on the other side to actually to weigh in. And I I think that when it comes to LinkedIn, I mean, sure, there's some people who are not that active on the platform and they aren't really checking their messages there. They are more active on other social platforms and and LinkedIn just isn't a great place to reach them. Mm
1: -hmm. So
0: email might be a better place to try and find them. And you could find a lot of people's email addresses through something like MailScoop.io, which is Austin's Austin Bell uh, uh, email finder basically mm-hmm. Very free of charge, by the way, no opt-in, no subscription, nothing like that. It's just a really cool tool that he built and going from that sort of platform specific problem back to the point around, like, how do you create a, a message that's worth responding to? Yeah. Like understand that you're, <laughs> they're going to be investing some time writing a response. Make sure that you're not eating too much of that time. Time is everyone's most valuable resource. Keep your asks relatively small and learn to follow up. Follow up is like, it's a key part of just building anything in the business world, whether it's relationships, whether it's sales, whether it's just a partnership opportunity, like you have to be willing to be persistent in order to just really get on people's radar because most people are pretty busy and it's easy for a message to just slip through the cracks. If there's no like major blip on that person's radar, you want to grow the blip that you are on that person's radar to the point where it's just like, okay, there's something mm-hmm. here. I need to, to respond to this. Even if it's just to say, Hey, thanks. I'm not interested. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Brian Tracy, persistence is the measure of your belief in yourself. So you got to be willing to follow up on the things that you put out for other people.
1: I think that's such a great point too, because some of the people that you might be reaching out to, and this is also something that like consider your audience. So if you're reaching out to somebody who might get 500 LinkedIn messages a day, mm-hmm. you're probably going to need to change <laughs> your tactics a bit. And you're probably going to need to be more persistent than for somebody who works in a smaller company that you're trying to reach out to. Mm -hmm. But that being said, like you had said before too, sometimes people aren't spending a lot of time, especially if they're not job searching, they're probably not on LinkedIn. So, I mean, regardless, don't take it personally, the less you can take it personally, the better. The worst case scenario is somebody doesn't respond when it comes down to it. The best case scenario, they do respond and you end up building a great relationship and connection.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I could point to all of the ways that we brought a lot of people onto the show as being proof that yes, people do listen and read and respond to what's in their LinkedIn inbox. It hasn't always been through that channel that we've gotten people on the show. A really cool thing that I suggest people try, and it it will probably get them out of their comfort zone is to leave people a voice message through the platform Mm. It's how I know we've had a couple people pitch us to come on to the show through that medium. I've run follow-up messages to my written messages in that format so that people can learn about just my voice says something about who I am in addition to the words that I've put in front of them, right? you come across as either warm or not so warm. You come across as genuine and curious, or here's my agenda. I want you to buy into it. It's about me. You can just say so much about it, who you are and what you're trying to get done, um, through your voice. And so that Mm -hmm. is a great tactical tip that I suggest for people who are struggling with LinkedIn direct messages.
1: What a great tip. Love that.
0: Thanks. Yeah. Don't see that trend going away either. So Use your voice, people. Awesome. Cool. Okay. So, I mean, seven pretty awesome questions. Mm-hmm. I hope that we did y'all justice, pretending to be American there for a second. Uh, <laughs> and if you have questions that you want us to answer for the next round that we do of this episode 120. <laughs> <laughs> feels Whoa. so far away, and yet it's. We're gonna blink, and it'll be there, right on our mm-hmm. doorstep. Don't be afraid to reach out to us. We're always just willing to answer some questions. I often take questions from people, just whether we're, it's around the show or not. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think we're both kind of just wired to help people in that way. So, don't be afraid to look us up, dear listener. But for the meantime, I'm Mike Bird.
1: I'm Lisa Blaine.
0: You've been listening to the Career Builders Podcast. Ask Us Anything, Part 3, Episode 90. We hope you are well. We hope you'll join us again soon. Bye for now. Hey, dear listener. Thanks for tuning into another episode of the Career Builders Podcast. If you love the show and want to help us spread our message further and reach new listeners, would you consider leaving a rating and review of TCBP on Apple Podcasts? Without a doubt, your help would be much appreciated. On behalf of Lisa and myself, thanks, and we'll catch you again next week. Bye for now.